You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. All right. Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm Jeremy. I'm so glad that I get to deliver this message to you. Uh, you know, I got to go to that conference as well with Pastor Ruben, and I just want to let you know the church is alive. It was so cool to be there, and we actually, I mean, there were people from all over North America, there were people there from Europe, um, and I'm sure other places from the world, and it was just amazing to come together. There were like 5,000 people there uh, just worshiping God, and all of these people, pastors and ministry leaders looking to grow the church of God, to, to plant churches and to grow disciples and to just reach the lost, and so it was just so cool. So I want to let you know, that's my report, the church is alive, it's growing, it's a good thing, all right? And we are part of it. So it's super cool to be here. Um, we're going to be talking about divorce tonight and marriage uh, because you can't have one without the other, right? So that's how it kind of works, right? So let's pray and we'll jump right on in. Father God, I thank you so much. Uh, for your love and for your grace, God. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that you would just be here. Holy Spirit, come fill this place with your presence, God. And would you just, would you just use me? Would you just speak in and through me, God? And would you just, just kind of set me aside and let your words come out, God? This is, this is your message for your people. And so, God, we just lift this time up to you and ask that you would bless it and that you would uh, just receive it as worship as well, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be talking about divorce. Now, if you're not married, don't check out, okay? This isn't the time for you to just kind of pull up Facebook and look, all right? So if you're, if you're single and hoping to be married, right, this is, this, get your notebook out. You want to take lots of notes, right? Because we're going to talk about what a good marriage looks like, what God wants from our marriage. Now, if you're single but not planning on getting married, then you can look at this message through the eyes of relationship. Apart from the intimacy that happens in marriage, uh, a lot of this stuff translates uh, to relationships that we just have with others. So don't check out. This message is for everyone. But I think divorce is an interesting topic because it's not really that polarizing in our culture, right? It's, it's not like abortion or some of these other big, big topics where you get, you get people on both sides like, yes, no, you can't do it, yes, you can. But divorce, at least statistically, when you look at America, it's a widely accepted practice. In fact, raise your hand if you know someone who's been affected by divorce, Okay, let's, let's do it the other way. Raise your hand if you don't know someone who has been affected by divorce. Exactly. It's just widespread. I, I found some statistics. These, were, these are actually from 2018. Um, 42 to 45% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And 73% of third marriages end in divorce. So the more you marry, the more likely you are to just get divorced again. Here's some averages for you. The average age of people getting divorced is 30. Average years before a remarriage is 3. Uh, average dis- divorces per hour is 100. The length of a first marriage average is eight years. On average, a person spends about two years thinking about divorce before taking action. And social media has really changed the face of divorce. Uh, One in three divorces starts as an online affair. 25% of couples fight about Facebook at least once a week. One in seven married people have uh, contemplated divorce because of their partner's social media activity. One in five feel uneasy about their relationship after discovering something on their partner's Facebook account. 
Facebook is the number one source for online divorce evidence. 81% of AAML divorce attorneys have used or encountered evidence obtained from social media. And last one, 14% of adults say they look through their partner's social media accounts for evidence of infidelity. This is the world we live in, where divorce is just accepted. But we're going to jump in here, and, and Jesus, in, in, in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, as he's talking about these things, he, it's interesting because he has two verses, just these two statements that he makes about divorce. But I think they're so very, very important and impactful. It's, it's almost about what he doesn't say in these two sentences that, that really brings to light how important this is. So we're going to be jumping into the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 1 through 2, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, previously, Pastor Ruben has talked about how significant this is, that Jesus sat down, right? That, that this was kind of a traditional way that, that, that the Scripture would be taught, right? They would stand up, they would read the Scripture, and then the rabbi would come over and sit down and, and talk to everybody and, and talk about what other rabbis had said about that and kind of interpret that Scripture. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's sitting down, but he does something very significant, in these statements, he says, but I say. He demonstrates his authority, right? All the other rabbis, they would come and they would sit down and they would say, the, the scripture says this and the scripture says this and, the, and, we, and we think this means and, and in traditionally this has happened. But Jesus, he says, the scripture says this, but I say. It'd be like if I came up here and I told you guys, I said, you know what? Uh, the Bible says that we're not supposed to lie. It's detestable to the Lord. He does not like it. It's a sin, but I say, if you're doing it to protect someone's feelings, it's okay. Right? I can't just do that. I don't have authority to, to trump what Scripture says, right? But that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's taking it to the next level. He, he's fighting kind of with his words with these Pharisees and these, these religious leaders who have gotten to this legalistic view of their religion, of their relationship with God. That it's all just about following these little tiny rules, and if I do it exactly this way, and he breaks to the heart of everything, right? We looked, at, we looked at murder, that was the first one we did, and he said, no, it's not about the physical act of murder. If you have anger in your heart for someone, it's just as bad. We looked at lust, and he said, it's not just about adultery, the actual act of adultery. He says, if you've, if you've lusted after someone in your heart and in your mind, then you've already committed it. Jesus is, is, is taking it up a notch, right? He's, he's stepping up. He's saying, look, it's much bigger than just these physical actions. There's a heart behind it. And now Jesus turns his eyes to divorce and to marriage. And like I said, they're linked together, right? We can't have divorce if we, if we don't have marriage. So I wanted to start at marriage. And marriage starts in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. How cool is that? Like we have dogs because Adam's like, that's a dog, right? <laughs> that's a bird. That's a toucan, you know? That's kind of crazy. But Adam has, uh, there was no uh, suitable helper found for Adam. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a, man, a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, whoa, man, right? 
No, that's not what it is. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Here's marriage. It's an institution created by God from the very beginning. It's not something that was designed by man or by government or some other regulating body. It's, it's an institution. It is something designed by God. I like how William Tyndale said it. He says, marriage was ordained for a remedy and to increase the world and for the man to help the woman and the woman the man with all love and kindness. God knew we needed to be together. He said it wasn't good for us to be alone, and so he designed it, and he designed it to be one man and one woman, and they're united, and they become this one flesh, kind of this one being, right? They're so close and so intimate that it's as if they are one. The the marriage is consummated by sex, right? That's God's design. The husband and the wife become one flesh. They weren't meant to just go and have sex with anyone, as many people as they wanted or whenever they wanted. It was designed to be done in marriage between that man and that wife. And let's face it, that's one of the top reasons for getting married, right? (laughs) If you're living a God-honoring life, one of purity, right? There's a point at which you're like, I really want to get married, right? (laughs) It usually happens in your teens, right? You're like, I think marriage is good. We're going to do this, right? Okay, that's That's it. God designed that. And that's the thing. Sex is a gift from God for us, right? And when it's done as he's designed it between a man and a woman in marriage, then it's his blessing to us. It's a good thing. And that's what makes adultery and fornication and sexual immorality such a big deal. It breaks that. It destroys it. It mars that marriage. It breaks the one fleshness that we can have. So we have marriage set up by God between a man and a woman. They leave their families and they become one flesh. And so Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 5, 31. It says, it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give a certificate of divorce. This is Jesus speaking. And what he's talking about, where he says, it was said, he's talking about scripture. He's actually talking about Deuteronomy 24. And this is what the religious leaders of Jesus' day taught and lived by. They looked at this scripture and they said, this is how we can deal with this. This is how divorce fits into our lives. So let's look at what it says. Deuteronomy 24.1 says, Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. I like how the NLT says it like this because it points to how it really got twisted by these religious leaders, right? This having discovered something wrong with her. It's translated as some uncleanness in the King James Version or some indecency in the New American Standard Bible. But the exact meaning is kind of uncertain. We know that it's not adultery because adultery is dealt other places in the law and actually says that if there's adultery, then then the punishment is death, right? But this is not that. If we remember uh, the woman who was caught in adultery, right? And they brought, them, brought her to Jesus, and everybody's ready to stone her, right? Because that's what the law said. And Jesus says, well, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And so he kind of turned that up on its end as well. 
But some later rabbis defined this uncleanness as anything in the, wife, in the wife which might displease the husband. In fact, at the time of Jesus, some rabbis taught that if the wife burned her husband's breakfast, that was enough that he could divorce her. So, honey, don't burn my breakfast. No, I'm just joking. No. But that's, that's the point where they're talking about, right? And so Jesus is attacking this. He's saying, you've heard that it's okay. Just give a certificate. If you find something wrong, just send her on out of the way. Right? But the issue here is that those religious leaders were not looking at the full context of that passage. There's, there's verses uh, 2 through 4 that, that expand on this. It's, we see something kind of different from it. So let's look. Verse 2 says, When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again. For she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. And I like how Pastor Michael Andrus explains this. He says, now, if you remove all the conditional clauses and all the extraneous issues from this passage, the bottom line teaching is that a man and a woman cannot reconcile and remarry after divorcing one another if there has been an intervening marriage. In other words, God says there can be no musical chairs in marriage. Don't think you can leave your wife, try out another one, and if the grass on the other side of the fence isn't really as green as you thought it would be, go back to the first one. God doesn't allow it. That's basically the whole point of this passage. It doesn't encourage divorce. divorce. It doesn't actually even explicitly grant divine permission for divorce. It simply acknowledges that divorce happens and forbids reconciliation after an intervening marriage. Okay, so this is what all those religious leaders were kind of hanging their hat on. They said, Deuteronomy says we can divorce, so we can divorce. Matthew uh, 5, 32, Jesus speaks to that, and he says... But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is saying to them that if you divorce your wife because of your burnt breakfast, you're turning her into an adulteress and passing that judgment upon her. And anyone who marries her, same thing. And anyone who marries you, you're now all just adulterers under that law. Now, God allows divorce in certain situations. We see that here. He says, except for unchastity, for adultery. But his desire is that divorce doesn't happen at all. That's, that's God's plan, right? Similar to that Deuteronomy 24. He, he allows it, but he doesn't condone it and say, well, if that happens, then you must divorce. That wasn't what it said. Please hear me correctly. I'm not saying that you can never divorce. We see infidelity as a reason that that Jesus approves and says that's okay. We also know that abusive relationships, whether they're physically abusive, uh, emotionally abusive, sexually abusive, we know God doesn't want you to live in those places, in those relationships. But I also believe in a God who can redeem and restore and reconcile marriages. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can soften hearts. He can bring healing and forgiveness and repentance to a marriage. When there's infidelity, it's not the end. 
It's not easy. It's going to be difficult. Trust has been broken. It's got to be regained and re-earned. And there's got to be a lot of work that happens. But that doesn't mean it's the end. God can work. The main point is this. Jesus is telling them, telling us that marriage is sacred. And it's important to God. It's something that we need to work towards. It's something that we must put effort into. We can't just treat it flippantly and say, oh, my breakfast is burnt. See you later. Right? It's not about how you pack the dishwasher. It's not about how you do the laundry. It's not about whether or not we're going to watch this show tonight on Netflix. Those are things that we can work through. I like how Jesus uh, talks to the Pharisees again in Matthew 19 over the same issue. Right? They seem to be pretty caught up on it. He does this teaching and they're like, well, let's ask him one more time. Let's make sure we got this. So verse 3 says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Right? We see him. They're still hanging on to this Deuteronomy 24.1. Right? Any and every reason. Right? It's okay. Right? Jesus responds, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And here's the kicker. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It was permitted because their hearts were were hard. It wasn't because it's okay. It was because our hearts have the issue. But it was not this way from the beginning, Jesus said. God's desire is that marriage not be broken, that it would be a lifetime commitment. That's the design. For those of you who are married, do you remember your vows? Check out that couple, huh? Pretty young, good looking. That guy's got a lot of hair. That's all I'm saying, right? Maybe your vows went something like this, right? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part, right? Nobody says that marriage is easy. Right? It's, it's right there in the ceremony, when it's happening. Right? And I remember Pastor Ruben was talking about this a few weeks ago. But, right? but, but it doesn't matter because you're not listening at that point. Right? You can see, Patty and I, we weren't, we weren't looking at the, the pastor. We were looking at each other. Right? We're thinking about the honeymoon. That's what we're thinking about. That's all, that's all that's going on right there. Right? But those vows warn us, right? For better or for worse. For richer or poorer. You're going to have tough times with your finances and your health and your in-laws and screaming kids and bad attitudes and enlightened conversations about how you're supposed to put the clothes in the, in the drawers, in the dresser. Like, there's all kinds of ridiculous things that happen when you're married, but you just, you don't know because you haven't experienced it, and that's okay. But God warns us. He says, look, this is going to be tough. These are why we have these vows, right? And 
And we don't know that eventually there's going to be this moment, most likely, where you're sitting in the car, getting, trying to get home from work after a long week of really hard work, and you're just wasted, and you recognize that the schedules are all conflicting, and you're trying to figure out who's going to pick up who, and why do we got to get this kid over here, and, and you know your spouse cares for you, but, but they're wrapped up in their work as well, and all of this stuff is going on, and you just feel this weight on top of you, and then the thought comes into your head, you know, I could just leave all this. I don't have to live like this. Maybe it would be easier or better if we were just divorced. Right? That's the enemy planting a seed, trying to go, yeah, break up that marriage. Because the enemy knows that if he breaks up your marriage, he breaks up the family. And if the family is destroyed, then there's no hope. The, the love and forgiveness and all of that kind of stuff can, can just really be, be, be wrought, can be destroyed can be separated. And see, here's the part, is there's this choice that we make when we're up there taking those vows, and we make that choice, and that choice doesn't go away. It's not like one and done. It's every day when you're sitting in that car and everything is weighing down on you, there's the choice to say, I will continue in this marriage because I love this person, because I've committed to it. Because I'm trying to honor God in my marriage. Because he's called me to this. The decision has to be made every day. I love a columnist, Doug Larson. He said it like this. It's really good. Most marriages might survive if the partners realize that sometimes the better comes after the worse. Right? For those of you who have gone through those worst times and you're out on the other side, you recognize how much better it is, right? And we see this all over life, right? If you're in sports, right, practice, when you start, it just sucks, right? And you're doing all these stupid things that don't make a whole lot of sense. You're working on basics and doing all this stuff. And then finally, you get out and you do that game, right? And, and everything just clicks and your mind just goes into it. And you rock and you win. And then you recognize that all of that was for a reason, that, that it's good. It was hard, but it was good. The same thing happens in our marriage, we go through the, the arguments. We go through the tough times. We go through the, the, the conversations about finances and who can buy this and why are we doing that. And you, and you go through all these hard times and, and you realize when you come out on the other side and you learn how to communicate and you learn how to love and you learn how to forgive even when someone's not asking for forgiveness. And you recognize how your, your marriage is so much better. See, marriage isn't just about you being happy and in love. It's a commitment to live together for God. Gary Thomas said it like this in his book, Sacred Marriage. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Have you ever considered that marriage is there to bring us closer not only to each other, but to God? To humble us? To make us more Christ-like? See, our marriage becomes an act of worship to God as we follow Jesus together. We, we commit to love our spouse through our ups and our downs, and it honors God. We humble ourselves, and we serve our spouse, and we become more Christ-like. We love unconditionally, and we forgive, and we become more like Christ. Look at how Paul said it in his letter to the, to the church in Ephesus. He says, 
submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like the best way to make your marriage amazing is to just out-submit each other. Like just out-serve each other. That's love. He continues on. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of us, of you, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Marriage is this beautiful symbol of God's love for us. Christ and his bride, the church. Christ gave himself up for his bride. And we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Our marriage should look like Christ and point to Christ. In fact, the whole, I'll say the whole point of my message is that we started at divorce, but those guys were asking the wrong question, right? They're saying, hey, isn't it true that we can divorce for any and every reason? And God's saying, you know what? Let's talk about how you love your wife or how you love your husband, and then we don't even get to divorce. Let's work on the fundamentals, Let's work, in, let's work on, on humility and let's work on repentance and let's work on forgiveness and let's work on mercy and let's work on compassion. And then there's no desire to get divorced. Then it only happens if there's something really radical. I wanted to do is give you five things, I said four, five things to keep your marriage healthy, okay? Um, these are not the only five things, there's like a billion things to make your marriage healthy, right? But I'm just going to give you five, five that I thought were pretty important. This is, this is a good start, okay? So, number one, make your spouse number two. Jesus is number one. That's where it's got to start. Your relationship with Christ has got to be there first. He is our Lord and our Savior. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in him, then it's going to be really difficult to have a God-honoring marriage, to have a marriage that's full of his blessing. Now, it doesn't mean that your marriage is just automatically going to be trash and horrible, but it's going to be very difficult. See, because Christ came and died for us. In fact, in Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
See, there's a problem. There's a sin problem that separates us from God. Everybody has it, and there's only one solution, and that's Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross, and he died, and then he defeated sin and death and rose again so that we could have new life. And that's where your great marriage starts at is that relationship with Christ. You put your faith in Christ and you follow him first for the rest of your life. And then you make your spouse number two over everything else. Over your kids, over your career, over your hobbies, over your friends. Your spouse is number two. It's kind of hard to hear sometimes. As a parent, it's tough, right? When we say, put your spouse over your kids because our kids, right, they're our heart on legs, right? But the reality is, I'm coaching them, I'm building them, and they're going to leave, preferably around 18, <laughs> right? But they're going to leave, and then, and then me and my wife are going to be there at home. And if we didn't invest in this relationship, if I didn't put her as number two, then we're going to be strangers, and we're not going to know what to do, because the kids are gone, and we've just basically become roommates. So make your spouse number two. I like how C.S. Lewis said it. He said, when, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. The more you love Christ, the more you're going to love your spouse. Number two, take care of your soul. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you have to intentionally take care of your soul. Offer yourself as this living sacrifice. Give everything to God, and and you take care of it by, by reading your Bible every day. By spending time on your knees in prayer and communing with God. By being part of a small group, by coming to church, by doing, by doing all these things that, that, we, that just shows us, that, that gets us closer to God. We take care of our soul. But you have to be intentional about it. Otherwise, you're just going to drift. It's going to be easy not to do. You're going to say, oh yeah, I read the, the verse of the day and, and that's good enough, right? And then eventually the verse of the day just isn't, uh, you know, I got the notification, but I didn't really read it. But I, I, got, I saw it. It was there. It's okay. And, and then we wonder why, why we're not hearing from God. We wonder why our life is the same. If we're not close to God, if we're not reaching out to him, if we're not living with him every single day, then he can't do the work in our heart. We're not opening ourselves and saying, God, take me, transform me. Holy Spirit, live in and through me. Take care of your soul. That will make your marriage healthy. Number three, pray with your spouse. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There aren't too many things in this world that are more powerful than spending time with your spouse and praying with them and for them. I'll tell you what, when my wife prays for me, when I, I, I text her during the middle of the day and I say, you know what, I'm just having a rough time or I'm, I'm struggling with this and she says, I'm praying for you. I feel like Superman, right? Like it just, like just knowing 
that she's there, that she, and it's, she doesn't just text it back. I know that she prays, right? And I do the same. And as, as, as a husband, as a father, as a spiritual leader in my home, one of the things that, that I've recently really been focusing on is I pray with every single one of my family members, my wife and our two kids before they leave for the day. Because I don't, I don't want to just, yeah, I'll pray for you and I pray a little prayer, but I want to be with them when I pray. I want them to hear because, because I can offer words of encouragement. I can lift them up. Pray with your spouse. Whether it's in the morning or in the evening, do it both. As much as you can do it, pray with your spouse. Lift them up. All right, number four, keep the fire alive. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Men, if you're not into memorizing scripture, now is the time to get into this, okay? You tell your wife, hey, 1 Corinthians 7, let's we got to take care of each other, right? Right? It's just got PG-13. All right, here we go. All right? Keep the fire alive. Now, I'm not just talking about sex, all right? It's about intimacy. It's about being close to each other. Guys and gals, if you don't know each other's love languages, you're missing the boat. If you haven't read that book and figured out, I want to encourage you, read that book. Understand what your love languages are. Some of us love by touch. Some of us love by service. Some of us love by gifts. When I want to show real love to my wife, I go clean the house and do projects because she's, she loves service. She serves people and that's how she loves. And so she loves to be loved that way. Likewise, I, she gives me a back rub. That's the way I, I'm a, I, I, I love by touch. And she knows that she can give me a back rub. So love your spouse. Keep the fire alive. Be intimate. Men, if you think that your intimacy with your wife will get better if you do less than what you did when you were dating her, you need to rethink your plan. You can't date her at this level and then be married at this level, okay? If there were flowers every week and there's like flowers once a year, you're missing it, right? And you set this bar. Nobody else did that. You did it. Right? So... Love your wife. She fell in love with you when you treated her with kindness and love. Do the same thing. Women, if you think that your husband's desire for intimacy is just going to drift and go away, you need to reevaluate how men work, okay? (laughs) It's not going away. Know that they need to be loved. Care about them. Go on date nights. Put it on the calendar and let nothing interrupt that time. The only thing that should interrupt that time is like medical emergency, someone's in the ER, right? Set those dates. And if you don't do it intentionally, if you don't put it on the calendar, it's not gonna happen. Those of you with kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like things happen and all of a sudden we wanna do a sleepover and this wants to happen and can these people come over and oh yeah, I forgot I've gotta make this project by tomorrow because I had five weeks to work on it but I thought I'd wait till today, right? Love your spouse, date your spouse, keep the fire alive.
Last one. Choose love over justice. Now, I got this from a hunter that I follow on social media. His name's Randy Newberg. And he did a podcast of marital advice for hunters, right? He's been married 30 years. And the way he actually said it was choose peace over justice. But I like it as choose love over justice, right? First Corinthians 13, it's often quoted at weddings. It tells us what love looks like. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices for the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Choose love over justice. When there's the disagreement, when there's the enlightened conversation, choose love, not justice. When you know you read that article right and you know that that stat is correct, but, but, but he's telling you, no, it's not, choose love over justice. If we choose to show love and forgiveness in our marriage, instead of hashing out who's right, who's wrong or who had the best idea, our marriage will be filled with love. Probably the best quote I ran across this week from Ruth Bell Graham, a good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. You want your your marriage to be filled with love and happiness and joy, then just forgive, show love, be patient, be kind persevere. Don't be proud, but humble yourself. Submit to your spouse. If you can't forgive, then your marriage might sound like that. Something falling over. Your marriage will be filled with bitterness and resentment if you can't forgive. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a marriage like that. I don't want a marriage like that for any of you. Forgive, submit yourselves to each other. That's all I've got. Those are the five. Take those home, digest them, work through them, make little parts of them part of your life. Start praying together. Start making your soul, taking care of your soul. Keep that fire alive and have date nights. Do those things. And then the word divorce doesn't ever enter the picture. Because that's God's plan. God's plan is that that you honor him throughout your entire marriage that your love, your devotement, your commitment is a representation of what God has done to you and what God's doing in your family. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your love and your grace, God, and we just give our lives to you, God. We give our marriages to you. Whether we're whether we're single and hoping to have a marriage or or we're married right now, or, or whatever. God, would you just move in our hearts and in our lives and in our relationships, and would you allow us to be servants to each other? Would you, would you empower us and would you, would you humble us to show kindness and love and forgiveness? 
Would you shape us and renew us, transform us into the likeness of Christ, showing compassion and mercy to, to everyone, God. Not because that's going to earn us points with you, but because you've radically loved us and we want to radically love other people. God, we thank you. We worship you with all that we are. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.